Our text for this morning is Exodus 9, verses 1 to 12. The plagues which the scriptures record in the first chapters of Exodus are judgments of the Lord on Pharaoh for his refusal to let the people of Israel go from his land. And they are therefore also judgments of the Lord on Pharaoh's hardness of heart. As Pharaoh's heart became hard against the word of the Lord, the Lord brought judgment on him. And as the uh, hardness of Pharaoh's heart was manifested in greater and greater measure against the greater manifestations of God's power, the severity of the plagues increased. God increased the severity of his judgments. And so, as we considered the first four plagues here in the book of Exodus, we noticed that for the most part, those plagues were uh, nuisances, very severe nuisances. Nuisances, in fact, that in at least one instance brought Pharaoh to his knees and made Pharaoh promise that he would let the people of Israel go, though he went back on that promise very shortly afterwards. But they did not do a lot of damage to the people of Egypt or to the land of Egypt as such. But now, as we get to the fifth and sixth plagues here in chapter 9, we see that these plagues are destructive. Destructive in the first place of the cattle of Egypt in plague 5, and destructive of both the cattle and the people of Egypt in the sixth plague. And God's judgments against Pharaoh are increasing as Pharaoh continues to be hard of heart. So we consider this passage under the theme, the fifth and sixth plagues, and we consider first of all the disease on the cattle in uh, verses 1 to 7, and secondly the uh, boils on the cattle and the people in verses 8 to 12. God chose again in connection with the fifth plague to announce it to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, and so on. Now, uh, these uh, announcements were, of course, opportunities for Pharaoh to change his mind or even to repent. God came to Pharaoh, he told Pharaoh what he was going to do, and he gave Pharaoh time then, after he had told him, to change his mind. Uh, In this case, 24 hours, till the next day. Uh, God was therefore giving to Pharaoh many, many opportunities for repentance, each successive plague was in itself an opportunity for repentance or change of mind. But then often before the plagues came, God announced them and gave Pharaoh additional opportunities to repent and to change his mind. So Pharaoh has many opportunities to change his mind in the uh, time that these plagues are coming upon him. The Lord is 
not just bringing his judgments on Pharaoh one right after the other successively until Pharaoh's land is destroyed, but he delays judgment, delays it uh, in order to give Pharaoh a chance to change his mind. The other thing we should notice, another thing we should notice about this announcement of the plague is that it's the same kind of announcement that you find in connection with the second plague and the fourth plague. In both of those plagues, we read that the Lord came to Pharaoh in announcing these plagues with a very simple commandment, let my people go. This was the only requirement that God gave to Pharaoh in order that he might avoid the plague. If Pharaoh had obeyed what God had told him in these words, let my people go, the plague would not have come. This was the one thing, therefore, that God required of Pharaoh in order for Pharaoh to avoid these plagues coming upon him. Let my people go. And in each case that God made these announcements to Pharaoh in the second, the fourth, and now this fifth plague, God also accompanied it with a threat. So you find in Exodus 8 verse 2 with the second plague, if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. And in connection with the fourth plague in verse 21, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants, on your people, and into your houses. And here we have it again. If you refuse to let them go, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, and so on. So the Lord is telling Pharaoh specifically what is going to happen to him if he does not obey this commandment of the Lord. And this is quite characteristic of the Lord's judgments and of the Lord's commandments, that the Lord gives his commandment and then he tells us what will happen to us if we don't obey his commandment. So when he commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he said to them, the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. When he gave the moral law to his people on Mount Sinai, he told them in the law itself, I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. And when he explained his law in detail in the book of Deuteronomy before they entered the land of Canaan, he pronounced upon them curses, many curses for disobedience. God carefully explains to us what is going to happen if we disobey. He doesn't just give his commandments and expect us to obey, but he also explains to us his judgment, his curse that will come upon disobedience so that we may be uh, duly and fully warned before we ever contemplate the idea of disobedience. It should come then as no surprise to us when the judgments of God fall on us for our sins. God has threatened his judgment, his curse, upon all disobedience. 
This, this announcement also follows the pattern of the uh, fourth commandment in that God gives time for Pharaoh to repent. In chapter 8, verse 23, I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign will be, though we do not read that in connection with the second plague. If you go to verses 4 and 5 of chapter 8, you see that it seems anyway that the plague of frogs followed immediately upon its announcement. The frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds and cause frogs to come up. So God is announcing the plague. He's telling Pharaoh also what's going to happen if he does not obey the commandment to let his people go. This plague, as we uh, suggested already in the introduction, was a very severe plague. A very harmful plague for the land of Egypt. It affected all the work animals of the land of Egypt. Notice that in verse 3. Behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. Six different categories of work animals in the land of Egypt. Probably every one of the categories of work animals in the land of Egypt was affected by this plague. And, he says, it will be very severe. It was very severe first in that it caused all the cattle of Egypt to die. It wasn't a plague that came, a disease that came on the cattle from which they recovered. It was a killing disease. This cattle was lost to Egypt. But it was a severe also in that the Lord says it was on all the cattle of Egypt. That's probably something of a hyperbole. Verse 6, all the livestock of Egypt died because in verse, uh, verses 8 to 12, the sixth plague, we read that that plague affected the cattle, the livestock of Egypt, as well as the people. Nevertheless, it must have been great numbers of the cattle of Egypt, the livestock of Egypt, that died in this plague. And that must have been, people of God, a huge economic loss for Pharaoh and his people. These were animals they depended on in their farming and even for their food. And this was taken away from them, largely taken away from them by this plague. So it was very severe. But we should notice, too, that it was not the sort of plague that required Pharaoh to ask for relief. God came to Pharaoh. He told him to uh, obey his commandment or suffer this loss. The plague came. The cattle died, and there was no relief to ask for. The cattle were dead. There was nothing Pharaoh could do anymore at this point. So there was no possibility of Pharaoh even asking for relief this time. I think that's another way in which God shows that the severity of his plagues is increasing. 
there is not going to be in some of these plagues possibility of recovery anymore. But let's look also at the significance of this plague. And there are a number of things I think that we can say about it. In the first place, uh, Matthew Henry points out in his commentary that we see in this plague the creature being made subject to futility because of the sins of men. And this was something that God talked about. We see it in the curse which God pronounced on the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin. We see it in Jeremiah 12, verse 4. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there because they said he will not see our final end. And Paul talks about this in a theological way in Romans chapter 8, verses 20 and following. For the creature was subjected to futility. The creature was subjected to futility, not through its own sins, not through its own disobedience, but through our disobedience. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And here too we see an example then of the creature suffering for Pharaoh's sin. God bringing his judgment just not just on the sinners themselves, but on the land and, and animals within that um, person's, that sinner, those sinners' purview. So the creature made subject to vanity. But in the second place, we should notice, I think, that this is an attack on Israel's, uh, on Egypt's gods. The expositor's Bible commentary says this about this, this plague. It says, another part of Egypt's wide array of gods was hard hit. The apis, or sacred bull Ptah, the calf god, Ra, the cows of Hathor, the jackal-headed god Anubis, and the bull Bacchus of the god Mentu. So there were various gods in the Egyptian pantheon of gods which were associated with cattle. And Israel, I think, at Mount Sinai was uh, deriving its worship of the golden calf from its experience in the land of Egypt, was uh, imitating the Egyptians and very foolishly imitating the Egyptians in light of what God had done to the Egyptian gods while they were there. So it's an attack on Egypt's gods. But it's also, I think we may say, an attack on the demons. Uh, We'll get to that actually in the next plague. I'm sorry, that doesn't belong here. It's an attack on Israel, on Egypt's gods then here. But the third thing that we notice is that God again made a distinction between Israel and Egypt. He did not touch the cattle of Egypt, of Israel, but he destroyed the cattle of Israel, of Egypt rather. Now this 
this uh, distinction is something really that God always makes between his people and the world when he brings his judgments. We should understand that. It's not that God is doing something really unique and different here in connection with this particular plague and other plagues in which he set Israel apart. He always makes this difference. When he lets his judgments come on his people, as he does sometimes, so that they suffer right alongside the rest of the world in the judgments of God, so it is even today in the plagues and judgments that God is bringing on our land in fire and drought and pestilence and so on, God's people also suffer alongside them. Still, God is making a difference between his people and the world. And he's making that difference in this way that when he brings these judgments on his people, though he is often bringing these judgments on them for their sins, not always, but sometimes for their sins, he nevertheless does it to purify them, to try them with fire in order that they may come forth as gold. All things work together for good to those who love God, to the called according to his purpose. But when he brings his ju- the very same judgments on the world, he brings them on the world in wrath for the world's destruction. So God always makes this distinction between his people and the rest of the world. He always, in a sense, sets them apart and deals differently with them than he does with the world. God makes that difference then between his people and the world. But he makes that difference very obvious to Pharaoh and to Egypt here in this plague and in other plagues because he prevents his judgment even from touching his people in this particular case. Now a couple more comments about this plague yet. First of all, Again, there are some who want to explain this plague in naturalistic terms. Let me just read to you briefly again from the uh, Expositor's Bible Commentary. Normally, the Egyptian cattle were stabled from May to December inclusive during the flood and the drying off periods when the pastures were waterlogged. So he's saying during and after the flooding of the Nile until things dried out again after the flooding of the Nile, the cattle were stabled, were kept inside. Thus, some of the cattle were already being turned out to pasture down south. So the land was drying up down south and the cattle were being turned out to pasture. So it must have been sometime in the month of January he derives the date, the time of, timing of the plague from his speculation about this. These cattle were then affected when they came into contact with the heaps of dead frogs left from the second plague and died of bacillus anthracis, the hoof and mouth disease. The Israelite cattle were exempted from the plague possibly because the delta would have been slower in recovering from the effects of the flood, 
which was further downstream. So the Israelite cattle would still have been stabled indoors and would not have been affected by this plague, which came on the cattle in the field. The question that we have to ask is, how does he know this? He states this as if it's fact. And there's no sound evidence in the scriptures to prove this. This was, people of God, a wonder of the Lord, by which he destroyed Egypt's cattle and saved Israel's. And finally, of course, we may notice that Pharaoh hardened his heart also against this plague of the Lord. Now, I've mentioned this briefly before, but I think we want to look at that in a little more detail this morning. And that is that Pharaoh's hardening of his heart seems to have been in response to different aspects of the Lord's work. And I think that's significant. We'll get to the significance in a moment. But if you go to the first mention of Pharaoh hardening his heart, which is found in chapter 7, verses 12 and 13, You find there the hardening of Pharaoh's heart in response to the sign of the rods becoming serpents. Every man threw down his rod and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's hardening of his heart, or Pharaoh's heart becoming hard, was in response to Aaron's rod swallowing the rods of his magicians. He didn't want to receive that sign, the sign by which God was saying to him, I will achieve mastery over Egypt. He did not like that assertion of the Lord, and he hardened his heart against that assertion. So it's it's a response then to God's own sign, God's own teaching of Pharaoh. He refuses to receive that specific teaching of the Lord. But if you turn then to the first plague in the rest of that chapter, 7 verse 22, then we read, Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. And he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. So here, Pharaoh is responding to the plague and saying, well, my, Egyptian, my magicians can do the same thing. This is not such a wonderful sign. Or if it is such a wonderful sign, still my gods are just as powerful as Israel's God. And so I don't have to listen to what God is saying. In the second plague, chapter 8, verse 15, Pharaoh saw that there was relief. He hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. And notice that repeated as the Lord had said as well. 
So Pharaoh sees that there's relief from the second plague. And it's because of the relief that he hardens his heart. In the third plague, it's the fact that his magicians come to him and say, this is the finger of God, verse 19. This is the finger of God, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. So this time, it's because the magicians are telling him it's God who did this. It's almost the opposite of the previous reason. It was because his magicians could do it before. Now they can't do it. And he hardens his heart again. This is the finger of God. He will not submit to God. In the fourth plague, chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, again, it was because of the relief. The Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. And Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. And here, what do you see here? Verse 7, Pharaoh sent, and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. And the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So this time it's in response to the distinction made between his own people and the people of Israel. He always has a reason. He always has an excuse. He always finds some way to explain to himself why it is that he does not have to obey the commandment of the Lord. His heart becomes hard in all these instances because he finds refuge in all these different kinds of of excuses. And of course, this is what the wicked do. It's even what we do at times, isn't it? I don't have to listen to the Lord because, 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 because. We always have our reasons. Maybe very secret reasons. But nevertheless, we have our reasons, our explanations. Sometimes they're not even consistent with each other as Pharaoh's reasons were not consistent between themselves. But there's always a reason in our own minds why we think we don't have to obey. That brings us then to the second of the two plagues we're considering this morning, the boils on the animals and the people. God did not announce this plague to Pharaoh. He did not tell Moses and Aaron, go to Pharaoh and tell him this is going to happen. He just brought the plague. And there's a pattern in this, this uh, matter of announcing and not announcing the plagues that we should notice. The plagues, the first nine plagues, are grouped by threes. The tenth plague stands by itself for obvious reasons, but the first nine plagues are grouped by threes. And the pattern comes out in this way, that in each of those groups of threes, the first two plagues are announced, and the third is not. So the third, the sixth, and the ninth plagues were not announced. And that's what we find here then. 
God is dealing in a very orderly way with Pharaoh, and he, in certain cases, denies to Pharaoh the opportunity to change his mind or to repent before the plague comes. Pharaoh gets many opportunities for that, but not in every single case. Another unique feature of this plague is that we do not read anything about Aaron or Moses using the rod or stretching out the hand. Instead, what God said to Moses and Aaron was that they should take handfuls of ashes from the furnace and scatter them toward the heavens. In other words, they were not to use the rod this time. They were to take these handfuls of ashes and they were apparently to throw them up into the air. And those ashes then became fine dust in all the land of Egypt. And as they settled down on the cattle and on people, these cattle and people broke out with the boils. Now there are a lot of unanswered questions about the, how this worked. We're not told, for example, how much ash Aaron and Moses were to throw up into the air. We're not told how, much, how this ash got scattered through all the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron were standing in one place and throwing it up into the air. Did God then send a wind and scatter it throughout? We're not told either why this uh, dust or ash, as it settled on animals and on people, made boils. Was there something in the ash or in the dust that caused the boils, or was this just a sign from God, and he miraculously brought the boils out on the cattle and people as it settled on them. This is, these are questions that the scriptures don't answer for us. But notice too that Moses and Aaron were to do this in the sight of Pharaoh. That Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. In other words, they were to take this ash, they were, go to, they were to go to stand in Pharaoh's presence and allow Pharaoh to see them doing this, throwing these ashes up into the air so that Pharaoh would know that this was indeed from the hand of the Lord. The boils were very painful and debilitating. We know that from a number of scripture passages. We find here, of course, that the magicians suffered from these boils. And it was so painful and debilitating to them that they could not stand before Moses. God thoroughly humbled Pharaoh's magicians with this plague. Not only could they not do it, but they were suffering under it to such an extent that they could not even meet with Moses and Aaron. But we know this also from Job. It was this kind of boil which Satan brought on Job. The same word is used in Job chapter 2, verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, and he took for himself a potsherd with which to scrape himself 
while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And it was these boils then that Job was suffering from that caused him to curse the day of his birth. So severe and debilitating was it. It was this same kind of thing that afflicted Hezekiah and that brought him near, the de- near death when he prayed to God and asked God to uh, save him. And then Isaiah came to him and said, 15 more years have been added to your life. Isaiah at the same time told the servants of Hezekiah to take a lump of figs and lay it on the boil that Hezekiah was suffering from. And this boil was also one of the symptoms, not the only symptom, but one of the symptoms that led to the diagnosis of leprosy in Israel. You can read about that in Leviticus 13, verses 18 to 23. This was a very painful and debilitating kind of thing then that God brought on them. But notice then, as we look at the significance of this plague, that now God is affecting the people of Egypt directly. Before this, he has attacked them indirectly. He's affected their livelihood. He's affected their uh, comfort. He's affected their, um, their land and their waters in many different ways. But this time, he attacks the people of Egypt directly. And this is a warning to Pharaoh. should be a warning to him. The plagues are growing more severe. God is increasing his Uh, the severity of the plagues to show Pharaoh that his anger is also increasing. But another thing that we should notice is that the the ashes were thrown into the air. In the, the first two plagues, God brought the plague on or from the water. In the third or the third plague, God brought the, the plague from the land. Now he brings the plague from the air of the land of Egypt. He's showing his sovereignty over all the different parts of the land and over all the different aspects of Egyptian life and even over the people of Egypt. And he's attacking the air, I think we may say, as the sphere of the demons. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And God is also attacking then those demons who were resisting him and who were encouraging Pharaoh to resist him in this matter of letting his people go. Finally then, the Lord, we read, hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This is actually the first time we read in connection specifically with one of the plagues that the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. When he was talking to Moses about the plagues at the burning bush, he told Moses that he was going to do this. He told him again later after Moses' first meeting with Pharaoh that he would harden the heart of Pharaoh. 
But in all the plagues up to this point, what we've read is one of two other things. Either Pharaoh hardened his heart or Pharaoh's heart grew hard. One of those two statements. Here, in the sixth plague, we read that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is not different from the other plagues. This is simply the scriptures showing us the other side of that coin. Pharaoh hardened his heart. God hardened his heart. The same thing happening, but being explained from different perspectives. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then, in the seventh plague, brought his judgment on Pharaoh for his hardness of heart. By way of conclusion, then, people of God, let's notice that the Lord threatened Israel with this same kind of plague in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28, verse 27. Deuteronomy 28, verse 27. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt, with tumors, with the scab, and with the itch from which you cannot be healed. We must not think, people of God, that we are exempt from the judgments of God. If we sin and are disobedient, the Lord can and will bring on us the curses of his law, the judgment for our sins, just as he brings it on the world. We pray that God will not destroy us by those judgments, though we deserve to be destroyed. They are the same judgments that he brings on the world. But the other thing we should notice here is as we look at the increasing severity of the plagues, we should see too that the Lord is pressing on towards the goal of redemption. That's the real significance of the increasing severity of these plagues. It's not just that the Lord is increasingly angry with Egypt or with the world today, but that he is pressing towards the goal of his people's redemption. And as we see those judgments of God increasing in our own time, and I think we may say we do, in fire and drought and pestilence and many other things, we see the Lord pressing towards the goal of our own redemption. This is what he teaches us in Revelation, isn't it? As he talks about the increasing severity of his judgments, he says we should see the increasing severity of his judgments as signs of the nearness of our Lord's return. And so when we see these judgments of God, we look in faith to the word of God and we lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. Israel should too have lifted up her head and said to herself, the time is drawing near when we will be delivered. May God bless the proclamation of his words.